Good morning. I'm Roger Sadsad. I'm uh, your senior pastor. And good morning to our viewers online. Uh, this morning we have a guest speaker, and I want to introduce you to him. You may already know him, Greg Crosswhite. He's been uh, attending here for 11 years. Um, and he, is, uh, he has a dual role. He's a, uh, a DJ on the radio. You might have heard him. And he is also a chaplain who is going through, um, he told me, two master's programs. One is a master in arts and leadership, and one is a master of divinity. And so he's actually doing a sort of pastoral internship with us this fall. As part of that, you might have heard about the Stevens ministry that's coming. Um, that is what he's working on. And I just wanted to give him the opportunity to share uh, Malachi 2 with you all this morning. So if you would, give it up for Greg Crossway. Thank you, Pastor Roger. Well, we'll see if I turned on my mic, and I did. Good morning. How, how did everyone do with the time change? <laughs> this is the good one. This is where we get sleep, and you're early. That's a good thing. We have, my wife Bethany and I have two dogs. One of them is a 10-year-old beagle named Buddy. And I don't know what it is about dogs. Maybe you've noticed this if you're pet owners. Pets like routine. They thrive on routine. Buddy knows whatever's happening there, 6 o'clock every night is dog dinner. That is the time to eat. If you miss it, 6.01, you hear whining. He will not let you forget. So I'm going to do an experiment today. About 5 o'clock, I'm not going to say anything, just real casual, and I'm going to see how he reacts because it's still 6 o'clock. So we'll see if he knows how to tell time <laughs> or not. I think he does, but you have to do, have to do these little uh, tests. So, Well, thank you, Pastor Roger, for the uh, introduction. He mentioned Stephen Ministry, and I wanted to take just a minute uh, to talk about that before uh, I get into the message. This is such an exciting time uh, for the church as, as just wonderful vision has been cast uh, moving forward, especially for the different uh, ministries within the church. But uh, I want to talk about Stephen Ministry. Uh, maybe you've heard about it. It's been around since 1975. And uh, Stephen Ministry began in St. Louis by a pastor named uh, Roger Houck. He was a, a pastor and a clinical psychologist. He started noticing that uh, his congregation needed care. We all have uh, difficulties, struggles in life, and part of the pastor's role is, is to care for those people. He began uh, being overwhelmed by having to care for all these people within the church and then still do the duties of teaching and preaching and all the other things that a, a pastor will do. So he decided he would form a group. He would train, he would recruit and train, specially trained people to care for others within his congregation. So in 1975, I think there were uh, maybe 10, 10 people trained within his congregation to then be Stephen ministers, named after uh, Stephen in the book of Acts. It was a hit. He initially thought it would just be something he would do within his own church, but then realized this can be shared with every church, with every congregation. So it became a, a, a huge program. Other churches started sending their ministers to, or sending their people, their lay people, to be trained up. And it is now nationwide. It's actually around the globe. I don't have an exact number for you about how many churches have a Stephen ministry program. 
uh, but we are going to be uh, beginning one of these uh, here at Life Church, and uh, probably in early uh, 22, we will begin the process of recruiting and training our people uh, to become these Stephen ministers. Right now, I'm in the middle of going through what's called leader training. And once that's done, uh, then we're looking forward to 2022, and uh, we're looking for people committed uh, to offer that uh, Christian caregiving to others and uh, to go through the training process and uh, have this available for our church, and not only our church, but once we get it up and running, looking forward to getting out into the community. Uh, the, the possibilities are really endless. So the, the whole idea is just to offer... Uh, this, this high-quality, one-on-one Christian care. So when life's struggles happen, life's troubles, and uh, they happen to everyone, um, you know, money troubles, illness, grieving, um, a spiritual crisis, there's all kinds of reasons uh, when you would need a Stephen minister, and the Stephen minister will come alongside. They will listen. They will care. They will support uh, through this uh, thing you're going through. So, Stephen Ministry, uh, you're going to be hearing a lot about it. Very excited and uh, be thinking about if it's something maybe uh, the Lord is calling you uh, into service for. So, as we uh, continue with Malachi, Malachi, as God's messenger, is accusing the Israelite people of violating God's covenant, listing off examples. Now, the entire book is not, is not negative. They are reminded uh, in Malachi of a coming time, of wondrous blessing, the coming of the Messiah and the fulfillment of the new covenant. Talked a lot about covenants uh, last week. So the second chapter of Malachi continues with God rebuking Israel and the priests. Remember in chapter 1, the priests were offering unworthy sacrifices in their worship from the people. The animals were blind or crippled or diseased, and that was dishonorable to God, according to this covenant. So chapter 2 has a warning aimed directly to the priests, and it begins with the callback to that covenant. The purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace, and that is what I gave them. They required reverence from them, and they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. They passed on to the people the truth of the instructions they received from me. They did not lie or cheat. They walked with me, living good and righteous lives, and they turned many from lives of sin. The words of a priest's lips should preserve knowledge of God, and people should go to him for instruction. For the priest is the messenger of the Lord of Heaven's armies. So the priests were doing what God asked and doing it well. They displayed great reverence to God. They were teaching God's truth to the people. They were faithful, honorable. They had a sincere attitude of worship. Remember last week that, that sincere attitude of worship. They were doing everything right. And the people responded, and they had those same attitudes. So what happened to Israel? Where did this get off track? So some historical context. When Malachi was written uh, around 450 or 420 B.C., it had been 100 years 
two or three generations since the Jews were allowed to return to their land from Babylonian exile. Jerusalem was restored, the temple was rebuilt, everything was on point. The people were blessed. It it was like a high point. It was like a high point for them. We're back. Exile's over. We're back. We've got the temple. We've got our city. We have arrived. Started to settle in to that high point. But slowly over time, people were getting sloppy with their roles. People were bending rules. We're breaking them all together. That spiritual apathy started creeping in. There was a general disdain for religion. And this causes some serious issues that Malachi addresses throughout the book. And in chapter 2, the focus is on worship and lifestyles. And he starts at the top with the priests. In verse 8, God says, But you priests have left God's paths. Your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So I have made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people. For you have not obeyed me, but shown favoritism in the way you carry out my instructions. You priests have left God's path. God lays a path for us. He has a desire for us to stay on that path. Have you ever heard of anything called a a desire path? Have you heard of a desire path? I'm sure you've seen one. A desire path is when a shortcut is taken. I've got a picture of it. Show you the desire path. If you've been to a college campus, you've seen desire paths. This is where people kind of make their own way. This is a desire path. A shortcut is taken. You see, the the way is laid out. It's clear where the path should be, but the desire path cuts right through, off the intended uh, directions. Here's another one. You get there quicker. You sure do. You save time quicker. But look how the terrain is destroyed. You can even uh, put up reminder signs Now, now you know, now you know that someone is using the logic. They've convinced themselves, well, I'm keeping off the grass. Technically, lawyering their way through that. Here's another one. The concrete's even missing. Just plow on through. Make my own path. And, there's, and one more here real quick. They even use the word please in the sign. Now, if you look closely, you can see where they planted, they put down new sod. And they started a new path right next to it. And they're still keeping off off the grass. Started a new desire path. But here's the thing with desire paths. If just one person left the sidewalk, took the shortcut, just cruised through one time, probably wouldn't be a big deal. But what is it about human behavior that when enough people do it, we justify it and we do it ourselves? We follow along because I didn't start it. Everyone else is doing it. What's the point now? I'm just going to follow. 
And this was the issue with the priests in Malachi. They were uh, the religious leaders entrusted by God to teach the people, model righteousness, help them turn from sin, and they fell into spiritual apathy. Wrong attitudes about worship. They were taking their roles for granted and treating it more as a job than ministry in the service of the Lord. Not trusting God with their genuine faith as their living Lord. They left God's path and started a shortcut. And when the grass started faded and then started fading and the desire path was set in, the people just followed along. People would follow what the priests were setting by example. So what does that mean for us today? That spiritual apathy in leadership. There's, there's enough stories to fill volumes of books about fallen church leaders, churches that have uh, dried up and died right on the vine because of spiritual apathy and these types of problems. But we can be thankful that our leadership here at Life Church, pastors, elders, ministry leaders, they all represent and contribute to an open, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community of believers. And we can pray for them and pray for leadership. The Bible is honest. Sometimes that kind of tough honest. The Bible is honest. But the Bible is hopeful, too. And our church can be a place that reflects that honesty and that hopefulness. So having dealt with the sins of the priests, chapter 2 continues now moving on by addressing the nation as a whole, the people. Are we not all children of the same father? Are we not all created by the same God? Then why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? Judah has been unfaithful. And a detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. May the Lord cut off from the nation of Israel every last man who has done this and yet brings an offering to the Lord of heaven's armies. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you've been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. So as time was going on here, after the return from exile, 
and the, and the spiritual apathy was developing. Jerusalem and through the land, there were economic troubles, social troubles, the crops were bad, and as a result, food was becoming scarce. And that's why the priests started allowing the defiled animals, started bending those rules, because that's where the food from the people came from. You remember last week, once the food was, or once the animals were sacrificed, that was dinner. So that's why all that uh, was happening. There were a lot of other issues going on just in the, in the, uh, in the culture, in the society. And the spiritual apathy was settling in, and people started losing their trust in God, losing their faith in God. We see this throughout, throughout the Old Testament. There's a blessing, and people slowly forget and start uh, turning away. This is what was happening. The unfaithfulness was beginning amongst, them, amongst themselves. The men started taking a shine to the pagan women and the gods that they worshipped. They started divorcing, divorcing their wives to marry these women. That profaned the temple. And they were divorcing their wives for younger women too. And so they broke their vows not only to their wives but to God who had given explicit instructions for marriage in his law. So instead of forsaking the heathen women and going back to their wives, the men would bring offerings, less than offerings too. They'd bring their offerings to the temple and hope that that would absolve them. But God was not accepting these offerings. So they were complaining about it, that there was no justice. Where is the God of justice? Verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? You have wearied him by saying that all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and he is pleased with them. You have wearied him by asking, where is the God of justice? God's message is the same today as it was then. God's desire for marriage is that a man and woman become flesh and God is a partner in that union. Now, marriage is a physical union that can be broken by death, sexual sin, or desertion. But outside of biblical considerations, God's intent is that a marriage will last a lifetime and he desires to bless it with children. So chapter 2 is all about attitudes, attitudes of worship and faithfulness. So how do we monitor those things in our lives? What is the practical implication of Malachi 2? How can we rekindle the fire, so to speak, so to avoid being tempted to make a desire path, to take shortcuts? And so one of those uh, big things is, I have a short list here of some things. Church. Go to church. Here we are. This is where we worship, where we learn, where we fellowship, where we care for each other and be cared for. Hebrews says it like this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now 
that the day of his return is drawing near. And church is not a spiritual, all-you-can-eat buffet where we just go to be fed. We are all called to get to work. Sometimes we need to be serving that buffet, bussing the tables, and doing our part. We don't just feed, but we help serve each other. 1 Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. All believers are called to serve God in some capacity. Albert Moeller breaks down this service, this call, into a couple of different distinctions. There is being called to minister. That is the call to every believer to serve the body of Christ. Called to minister. That is praying for each other. That is being there, supporting one another. Called to minister. Then there is called to ministry. That's spending more time in an actual ministry in church where your focus is on something bigger uh, within the church. And then there is called to the ministry. And this is the uh, formal leadership, our pastors, the leaders. This is formally defined in uh, Ephesians and Timothy and Titus. That is called to the ministry. Then there's worship. Last week, authentic worship. Pastor Roger uh, just described this so beautifully. That, that message is worth going back and listening to or, or re-watching it. Worship can be such a, a great way to rekindle, to, to uh, rekindle that fire, rekindle our faith through worship. Reading the Bible. This may be the most important thing that a believer can do to get close to the Lord, to understand Him, to hear from Him, reading the Bible, reading the Word. Does your Bible pass the white glove test for dust? You getting into the Bible? Today, more than any other time, it is so accessible. We have apps for our phones. There are so many good apps. They'll even read it to you. You can pick the voice. You can pick the accent. You can pick background music. It's uh, so wonderful. If that's your thing, sometimes you like to turn pages. I, I do that too, but uh, I would just encourage your Bible reading. If it gets dry sometimes, switch up the translation. Read two side by side. They, they have the Bibles where you can, they actually have two, two translations in one. So you can read side by side. Sometimes when you compare translations, just the turn of a phrase or a different word can just break open the meaning of Scripture, something you've known, known and memorized since Sunday school, but you read it through a different translation or hear it a different way, and the Lord will tell you something entirely new. Wow, isn't reading the Word good? Spend your time in the Word. Second Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And Psalm 119, is that's like the, 
the Bible reading psalm, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And verse 18 of Psalm 119, open my eyes to see the wonderful truths in your instructions. And then there's prayer. How's your prayer life? Is it asking and requesting? Is it a daily conversation? Prayer is a direct line to the Lord that we can access anytime, constantly. Five bars, full battery. You never get out of, out of range. You can constantly communicate with the Lord. Tell him everything. In earlier seasons, I was in the habit of Praying when I needed something, when something went wrong, like, like a divine AAA, when I broke down and I needed roadside assistance. Didn't pray until it was serious. Keep that line open. Pray at all times. Pray to hear. You can request things, but also include just that conversation. Lord, what do you want from me today? And thank the Lord. Have you ever been so moved by something like a sunset or a sunrise and just said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. Something in your life, someone who's come into your life, do you ever just say, Lord, thank you for putting that person in my life. Thank you. Thank you for this. Thankfulness should be such a huge, huge component of our prayer. Psalm 145 the Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. And Matthew 6, when you pray, don't babble on and on as Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. You don't need to have big prayers. Sometimes you just tell them what's going on. He knows. It doesn't need to be big. It doesn't need to be fancy. Here's something else that I've, that I've started doing, been doing this for a while. You're having a conversation with someone and they bring something up in their life and you say, well, you know what? I'll, I'll be in prayer about that or I'll be praying for you. When that happens with somebody, I, I don't tell them that I'll be praying for you. I pray for them right there, right there in the moment. Hit it, hit it right there. I would encourage that. Start that. See how that changes up your prayer life and how you interact with prayer, how you deal with that. Don't tell them you'll pray. Just pray for them right there. What do you need prayer for? Right there in the grocery store. Right there in the parking lot. Just pray for them right on the spot. You'd be surprised what happens when you pray in unlikely places. Now these things, the, these tips about Bible reading and worship and these things we can do to rekindle our faith, these things do not make God love us more. They are not rules to follow. God will love us just the same. These are not things you do to be a better Christian. There are no levels. Does anybody have a, a Fitbit? Fitbit or a smartwatch? Every once in a while on the Fitbit, when you, when you walk so many steps, 
or you get these little achievements if you've done so many steps or gone up uh, stair steps, it'll send you a little notification and say, you've just achieved like a badge. Like the other day, I got a notification and said, you have earned the monarch badge. I guess in four years, I've walked 2,500 miles. It's called the monarch badge because that's the distance the monarchs migrate to the south. But a little buzz came out. You know, I don't pay attention to those things. We, we do not get little achievements and badges. We do not unlock new levels of Christianity based on how much we read the Bible or how hard we pray. God loves us all the same. These are just things that help us keep our hearts and mind focused on the Lord and just start to stir in us, transform us. These are not things we do to have any sort of better standing. Get rid of the negative can certainly help, help your faith. Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Proverbs 18.21, the tongue can bring life or death. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Now what that means is there will be consequences whether you speak life or whether you speak death. It's not saying don't talk. It's saying speak life. Because either way, there will be consequences. So th think about what comes out of our mouth. In Philippians 4, 8, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. You remember that song? You probably have it stuck in your head if you think back and remember it. Counting your blessings is just a constant reminder and it's back to that. Uh, what do we want to think about? What do we want to set our mind on? The negative or our blessings? And it's very easy to get caught up in thinking about the negative things when troubles come. Troubles come in our life like the weather. We can have a misery Olympics with each other and commiserate and see who's got it worse. But think about those, those good things. My it's cold, my battery won't start, I need a new battery. That's negative. What's positive? I have a car. I go get a new battery, get five bucks back for the core or however that works. Think of, think of the positive. What we would sit and complain about, think about this, all the different things in our lives that we can commiserate and think about. Let's go talk to someone in the slums of Zimbabwe or Haiti and give them a list of our problems. What would that look like? We got a good. We really do. We really do. It's so easy just to, just to get into that mode. Get, get, in the, get in the positive mode. Count those blessings. And resisting shortcuts uh, back to the desire path. You know, the thing about shortcuts and the, des and the desire path, 
Shortcuts can distance us from God when we get off of his path. They can also get us lost. You get too far off the path, you you can find yourself in some deep weeds. And shortcuts, when I say shortcuts, I don't mean just stepping off the path, doing things a little bit different. I think shortcuts also include things like compromising, compromising your faith, trying to rush God's timing. That's a shortcut, isn't it? Sometimes folks will convince you, just eh, do, it, do what you need to do. Well, is that, is that pushing God's time? God's timing is perfect. It is perfect. It never seems like it in the moment. Amen? Come on, God. But think about compromising and rushing God's timing as, as shortcuts. Do I want to avoid that? And here's, here's the good news. Here is the good news. Malachi is honest, but it's hopeful. And we can rejoice in the coming day when Christ comes and fills that new commitment, when he returns and fulfills that. Hebrews 8, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. And second Peter, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And I love this from 1 John. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. For that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world who don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. It's quite a promise, isn't it? Well, join me in prayer as I conclude. Gracious God, we thank you for your word, for speaking to us, for your desire for us to have good attitudes, authentic attitudes of worship, for faithfulness. Lord, when we need, help us rekindle our faith. Inspire us through your word, through other people. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Father, I ask a blessing over this church as we move into a new season, a new season of worship and service and care for one another. Just guide us. Speak to us. Put us where you want us. Put us where you need us. Here we are. You can have it all, Lord. In your mighty name I pray. Amen.